All right, we are live. Uh, how's everybody doing? I, I'm Matt Delaney hosting, and this is Don Baker. Hey, good to be here. Are you going to talk about failures today? I am. Awesome. <laughs> today is February 9th. Again. Yeah. February 19th, 2017. We are live with the Atheist Experience from Austin, Texas, uh, sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin. You can find out more about the ACA by visiting atheist-community.org. Um, I have just a couple of quick announcements to get out of the way, and then Don will begin with... Uh, his conversation of the latest, well, I don't know if it's the latest failure, it's actually an older but it's, one. <laughs> it's the one that you're talking about most recently. Yes, yes, sir. So uh, as a reminder, I'll be, if you're in the Austin area, uh, and I think all of the people in the Austin area are actually sitting on the other side of the glass. We have, we have a big audience today. We have today. a <laughs> packed house, and I think there's overflow in, in the, on the back porch as well. Uh, tomorrow night, I'll, I will be with uh, CFI Austin for their dinner and discussion thing Uh doing some magic and talking about magic and skepticism and the interaction. Uh, basically, it's a way for me to practice before I head up to Vancouver to do uh, two events with James Randi. Uh, one is a discussion on magic and skepticism. So if you're in the Vancouver area, take a look at Pangborn Philosophy. Uh, and not to just promote my stuff, because that's, James Randi's pretty damn that's awesome. not why I'm here. Uh, although it's cool, and I want people to know what's going on. I was just handed an announcement. For those of you who are familiar with uh, Oasis or Sunday Assembly or organizations like that. Um, Oasis uh, started in Houston, and I've spoken there before, and spread out. It is um, a, a, an event on Sundays for secular people. There's one opening in Austin. Uh, I just found out about it. Their inaugural uh, meeting is going to be next Sunday, February 26th. I'll just read through their announcement real quick. Um, Austin Oasis is very excited to host its first ever weekly gathering on Sunday, February 26th. We are a secular community for the non-religious to come together to celebrate the human experience that focuses on five core values. Number one, people are more important than beliefs. Number two, reality is known through reason. Number three, human hands solve human problems. Number four, meaning comes from making a difference. And number five, be accepting and be accepted. The Oasis movement began in Houston, but has since spread to cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Secular folks everywhere are seeing that they too can be part of a community that thinks like they do. We are very proud to start our first our weekly gatherings. The weekly gatherings include time to socialize, a secular talk, a Q&A session, live music. They're family-oriented, and child care will be provided. Uh, they hope that you'll join them in the inaugural gathering Sunday, February 26th, from 1030 to 12 o'clock at Soma Vita, 2324 East Cedar Chavez in Austin. And for more information, you can visit austinoasis.org. Uh, and I've talked before about this. There are individuals who I'm not going to bother naming so that I don't get into a rant who have tried to say that, oh, if you go to Sunday Assembly or Oasis or any of these secular church things, uh, you're just not sufficiently secular. You're still involved in the trappings of religion. And as I've said over and over, that's bullshit. And who are you to declare who is or isn't sufficiently secular? I don't regularly go. I might. We'll probably go to this first meeting of of, uh, Austin Oasis, but I don't expect that I'll be there regularly. It's not my kind of thing, and I'm busy with other stuff. But there are people for whom this is a real benefit. Um, we shouldn't, gathering together and doing things and building communities is not a church thing, it's not a religion thing, it's a human thing. And if you are willing to say that if you do those things, you're not sufficiently secular, then you are conceding a core aspect of humanity to religion. And basically saying, nope, I'm not going to participate in that, I'm not going to support that, I'm... Uh, that's garbage. Uh, 
um, we are social creatures, and I love the fact that there are places for those people who appreciate that sort of uh, community interaction to go and participate. I'm glad there's one opening up in Austin. I will probably be there for that uh, inaugural event, especially as the two days prior to that, I will be at a Baptist conference here in Austin um, listening to Lee Strobel and debating Mike Lacona, and I will probably need... Uh, a little detox. Uh, huh? Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely need some detox after that. Uh, although I am looking forward to the Baptist conference this weekend as well, and the, the debate will be recorded and posted probably late March, early April, something like that. Uh, also, as a reminder, after the show is over, we get together and go to dinner, and we are going Star of India, not Starve India, which someone <laughs> thought they heard me say. It's Star of India, and they will put the address up on the, the screen there at the bottom. Uh, it's on Anderson Lane. But, Don, you have a new a topic. New, a new failure topic. Right? About a failure. I've been, I've been doing these for several years now, and, you know, I was looking through the news, and there's all this news at the national level about the, the clown circus going on and, and mm. all this news at the Texas state level. But there's a lot of issues that are still very important that are not getting a lot of airplay and a lot of interest. And, and I, I think that this is worthy of uh, looking into. And this is about stem cells. So this is, uh, if you're keeping count, show number 46, 46 failures. So all of them fatal as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I want to talk about Christian attitudes towards uh, embryonic stem cells, stem cells, in vitro fertilization, abortion, and some of these other things, but fo- focus primarily on stem cells. Well, what are stem cells? They are uh, pluripotent, meaning that they can differentiate into any type of cell from brain to muscle to bone. They are used in the development of medical treatments for a wide variety of conditions. They can be used to repair tissue damage, for example. Uh, and they can they can also have uh, genes altered within them before the repair to effectively introduce those gene repairs into into an individual. And the full t- potential of stem cells has yet to be realized, and that's kind of the big take home of the message. And uh, it could be used in all sorts of different ways. For for example, our, our Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and ALS and MS, all of these diseases could benefit from stem cell treatments that are have yet to be completely developed, um, organ regeneration such as the pancreas for, for diabetics, macular degeneration if your eyes are uh, failing to work, spinal damage and paralysis, bone marrow transplantation, stroke, burns, arthritis, cancer treatments, heart disease, and likely many more. So this is, this is a, a very big thing that is sort of sitting on the back shelf in, in a lot of ways, especially in the policy arena. And that's because of a controversy, and that is that embryonic stem cells uh, happen to be the most flexible and easiest to extract and utilize, but Christians generally consider embryos as full human beings that are not subject to experimentation. And so there's a controversy, and this controversy has set back stem cell research by over a decade trying to get around these ethical restrictions. Meanwhile, um, an estimated 100 million people are dying early due to lack of treatments. This is just in the U.S. So one in three people in the U.S. is dying early due to the lack of treatments that have been delayed uh, now 16 years and counting. So this is a big deal, and it will affect everybody in the audience likely um, either directly or indirectly through relatives and things who will have these diseases and will be missing out on cures that would be would be created if it were 
if it were around. Now, let me shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about in vitro fertilization, the different topic. Um, and here, uh, eggs are extracted from a woman and fertilized in the lab, or in vitro means in the glass. Viable embryos are implanted in the uterus, often several at a time. And gestation and birth proceeds normally, often resulting in multiple births. So you often see very large you know, triplets and quadruplets from, from these sorts of procedures. And the IVF clinics generally generate many more embryos that can be implanted due to the cost of the procedure and the relatively high likelihood of unviable embryos. Right? So there's a bit of a shotgun approach because there's a lot of embryos that just don't make it. And these leftover embryos that are not used are ultimately discarded. They're just pitched. Um, and the, the parents of those embryos could donate those embry- embryos for scientific research, but they can't. They're, they're prohibited from doing so now. And this could be a great source of stem cell um, you know, research, uh, uh, fodder for the research. And I have this quote yeah. So there's one thing I wanted to to chime in on before yeah. we keep going with the rest of it. Uh, you talked about um, potential cures that would result from this. Right. And just for clarity before somebody writes in, um, we should probably say could result from this because we can't necessarily predict what would happen. But the, the problem here is that research is being stalled right. for something that could potentially and we think has a strong likelihood of producing uh, cures and treatments. But the other aspect of this is by stalling the research, you have no idea what else you're preventing us from discovering and understanding about this. Right, right. And meanwhile, there's a huge opportunity cost. For example, Alzheimer's is currently the most expensive disease in America, costing more than cancer and heart disease. And uh, it's estimated that the cost per year is $236 billion dollars. So holy moly, uh, what a big impact of if we could cure that or we could make an impact and, and improve the lives of those folks and not have them be needing all that care, boy, that, that would be a big improvement, right? So there's, I, you know, I think this is a, a great example of where we have a lot of harm that's, that's sort of unseen. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, because science will progress and science will have many, many cures from stem cell research, uh, is, we're, we're just this delay is costing us. Now, there's an analogous situation as well, and that is um, the Arabic word world was at the forefront of scientific thought and discovery at one point. And one of the things that stalled that was when uh, an imam basically announced that mathematics is the purview of God, and that you you know you, you shouldn't. And this stalled mathematical uh, endeavors and. I would say, you know, compare the state of technological understanding in the Western world compared to uh, a good chunk of the Arabic world that fell underneath uh, this edict, and you can you can see a disparity. Yes, yes, and it's really played out, and and they're they're sort of still still very far behind in in so many ways. So, I have a quote here that uh, about. Um, George Bush, uh, in, in a much anticipated decision on what he called a complex and dif- difficult issue, in August 2001, President Bush cited the great promise from embryos, embryonic stem cell research and announced he would allow several f- federal funding of a limited amount of research using existing stem cell lines. So no new lines. The president stopped short of allowing federal funding for research using stem cells divided, derived from frozen embryos, about 100,000 uh, of which 
exist at fertility labs across the country, many awaiting destruction. This is in 2001. The decision represents essentially the most restrictive use of federal money and the administrative the administration could have permitted short of an outright ban, but the new policy veers away from Bush's previous outright opposition to federal support of this type of research. And this is, this is due to George Bush's Christian leanings and his, you know, ethical, um, stance. And, um, nobody has changed this. None of the presidents have changed this. And this has been sort of ongoing. And, you know, uh, you might claim that I'm casting a wide net here on Christians, but you know this is this is the effect. I mean, we 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 measure Christianity by we we know the fruits by their fruits we shall know them. And well, his his position here, as it was refined, far more liberal than a lot of Christian churches were even comfortable with at the time. Right. Yeah, no no research at all. Right. Um, it's it's uh, save all the frozen embryos. Right. So that's that's stem cell research. Now let's contrast it here with, with intra, intravenous fertilization. Um, when that when that appeared in 1978, Christians went apeshit over that too. Uh, would, would these would these little babies have souls? Would they be monsters? You know, would they come come rape you in the middle of the night? That sort of thing. They were all afraid. Uh, it would, and the idea is you're you're playing with God, and all this is was the mantra at that time. And today, IVF is not seen as a moral issue unless traits such as sex are selected for. Uh, Christians seem more concerned about the fact that it involves masturbation than it does uh, uh, than it does destroying um, embryos. Although you do hear some noise about that. This but, is one of those cases where I absolutely wish my wife would just call in. Uh, because I don't know anybody who knows more about the specifics of this than right, she Right, right. And, and today, that those people, those couples that are using IVFs who are infertile um, are claimed to be doing so with God's guidance, the Christian couples. And so um, many Christians feeling extreme pressure to reproduce may turn to an IVF clinic in order to help with infertility problems. Six percent of women of childbearing age are, are infertile. And so I wanted to contrast these two things. This, this IVF is kind of a no big deal. It's just, it's just a little bit of noise in the Christian community. And the stem cell research, which is, oh, my goodness, you know, the sky is falling. We've got to put a stop to this. And, and if you take a look at abortion, you know, the, a, a woman who uh, wants to have an abortion is, is, is treated like a murderer, pretty much, one step below that. And and th- that part, so the, their opposition to abortion uh, is clear. Yes, uh, I don't have enough data to talk about Christians in general as to whether they object more to IVF or more to stem cell research or, or what they're... I think they're spending so much time on abortion that I think either of those other issues seems to be Well, I'm minimized. going by, I'm going by the, the, the laws that are being put in place and, and restrictions and, and all the hoops that women have to go through. And, you know, IVF is, is, is really not that... Regulated beyond right. beyond the medical side of things, right? Um, and so, you know, just just this week, uh, I think there's three or four bills in the in the Texas legislature about you know doing restrictions on abortion. So, so yes, it's a hot topic, and and there is um, you know just going by that at the twenty thousand foot level, um, you know, and, and and yes, this may not reflect all Christians, but it's the ones that are doing something. So. So we've got abortion, we've got stem cell, we've got IVF, and 
you know, regular sex is, is still a big deal. You, you gotta use the missionary position. There's prohibitions against masturbation. Contraception is a bad thing and it shouldn't be used. And plan B, forget it. Uh, and there's this quiverful movement, all this stuff. We've, we've, we've harped on a lot of those issues. So how do we reconcile the, the difference in attitudes here? Well, my, my opinion is there is no God who can make tithers, but Christianity needs tithers to survive. People who are paying money or keeping the thing alive. Uh, and these tithers must be manufactured because there's no God who's making them. So a woman seeking abortion is effectively preventing the creation of a potential tither, and that's bad. IVF is okay because if there's Christians doing it, they're going to make Christian babies who are potentially going to eventually tithe. Um, and if you're having lots of sex and, and, that, and doing that in a marriage, that's, that's the best outcome. But in, Embryos, stem, stem cell research from embryos or cloning uh, does not result in tithers, and so that's completely off the table. So I think that explains what we're seeing in the, as far as the difference in attitudes and the, the strength of the, the attitudes. You may disagree. I invite you to call in and, and debate that. I may disagree. Please do. <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it's definitely an interesting case, but one of the, the problems that I have is when we start talking about what somebody's motivations for an action is, um, and so when you start talking about, oh, this increases the number of tithers and this doesn't, um, that implies that there's somebody whose primary motivation is the number of tithers. And what we end up getting into is that, like, the church becomes some nefarious organization out here. And I don't want to lose sight of the fact that, uh, by and large, uh, the church is made up of people who just have sincere beliefs. Mm-hmm. and. I, I, growing up Southern Baptist, tithing was encouraged, but it's not like you get ostracized or anything, you know, if, if you weren't doing it. Um, so I might just have a slightly different kind, okay. of, kind of look okay. on tithing. I'm being a, I'm being a little base there. Uh, I, I get it. it. I, and I'm not saying that you're necessarily wrong or that I disagree. I think this is one of many things. I think it's a complex thing. It, but it reminds me of when people talk about the government as if it's something separate from us when we actually live in a participatory government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as soon as you, and I'm not saying this applies here, I'm talking about in the, the context I'm talking about, as soon as you start saying what somebody's motivations are and, and building a, a model that is consistent with all the available information in order to conclude that this is their primary goal, I, I have concerns. You may, you okay. may, may not be okay. wrong. All right. Yeah, I may be oversimplifying or, or jumping into a conclusion. Um, but, but if we look at Christian morals as, as we see them sort of in laws and, 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 and in the sort of culture war attitudes, uh, we can see that they've changed over time, mm-hmm. especially with IVF. Um, it used to be a, a sky's falling, you know, can't have it sort of thing, and now it's, it's okay because, you know, a lot of Christians uh, want to have children. Um, we've seen that the Christian morals are inconsistent, that, that throwing away uh, throwing away uh, embryos is is terrible, terrible, terrible. If if uh, if it's abortion, but throwing away an embryo in uh, after IVF, no problem, not not a big deal, uh, not not something we're going to make big laws against. And I think that we're seeing that Christian morals are self-serving. That 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 we that that the net result of all these attitudes are that Christianity is favored at the expense of non-Christians or people who. Who would benefit from stem cell research, or who um, you know are forced to bear children that they they can't afford, those sorts of things. So I think it's worth worth noting that if you are in favor of IVF 
and opposed to stem cell research. That there may be a very, very strong contradiction in the foundation of, you, of your views. Similarly, if, uh, if you believe that, you know, we would ask, if you believe that God answers prayer, why would you carry medical insurance? Why would you ever go to a doctor? And the, the most common answer that I've heard is, well, God also gave you a brain and he let us learn about medicine and he expects you to use that brain to go to the doctor to get sound medical. If that is your answer to why you go to a doctor, then how did you conclude that God didn't give us the possibility to use frozen embryos to cure diseases? Right, right. And it, you know, it, I'm I'm somebody who's actually going to donate my body to science when I when I die. And um, I would if they wanted it. And you know, the bio, <laughs> they wanted it. Okay, but the 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 point is that uh, that is uh, something that one can do that is a benefit to humanity. Um, and if it's a if it's a parent donating wanting to donate their embryos that are not not going to become human beings. Um, then why not? Why not allow that? And so we got a lot of fallout here from this Christian morals that are that are taking this decision away from other folks, I believe, that we've got 100 million people who are dying early due to diseases, not to mention all the suffering and the cost uh, of hundreds of billions of dollars. And why? Uh, because embryos that are going to be flushed down the toilet are too sacred to be used in research. And, you know, th- this is sort of a tax that Christianity is is placing on everybody, um, and sh- they should have to pay for this, I think, somehow. But I doubt they ever will, and this is a- another failure of Christianity. I think one of the biggest fears is that if they go along with the idea of stem cell research, that there will become an actual market where we're just running around creating embryos, you yes, know, intentionally yes. for research, and that, you know, women will become hosts. Oh, wait a minute, somebody's already tried to use that language. Yeah, uh, yeah. We talked about that on Saturday at a fundraising podcast that we did uh, to raise money for Planned Parenthood. Uh, I, I think with, with the proper, proper uh, policy foundation, you can, you can address some of these issues and, and deal with it. Anyway, right. let's, let's take some callers. Sure. On that note, we'll, we'll go to Paul, who's been on hold the longest, from evidently from Louisiana. Paul, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Hey, you're on with Matt and Don. What do you got for us? Hey, uh, yeah. So, uh, first of all, I'm, 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 I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, it says LA and I just, I thought Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> La Land. Okay. Okay. That completely changes my, my, and, and this is, this is, this is non-trivial. It completely changes my perception of you because if I have a perception of people from LA and I have a perception of people from Louisiana that are admittedly stereotypical, uh-huh. but go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm actually kind of curious what, uh, what's that stereotype? <laughs> Um, so uh, liberal hippies come from LA and conservatives oh, come, man. come from Louisiana. So, and, <laughs> and I realize that that's not actually true, but it is a general. No, no. Hey, you know, you know what? I, I agree. <laughs> it's totally true. But, um, uh, anyways, yeah. So, um, I just wanted to talk about a famous argument. Uh, it's the impossibility of the contrary. Have you guys heard of that? Well, the impossibility of the contrary is used in a number of different arguments. A lot of presuppositional arguments, a transcendental argument for the existence of God, basically trying to define God as something that is necessary uh, and show that it, you know, the, the, the situation that we have, that God is a necessary requirement of that because it would be impossible to be in this situation where, where they're not a God. 
Uh-huh. So like, so like, uh, have you heard the argument used with uh, the laws of logic? Yeah. So Matt Slick called in many, many years ago, and we've debated several times since. That the laws of logic mm-hmm. is uh, one of the transcendental arguments for the existence of God. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the uh, like uh, the atheistic worldview cannot account for it, justify laws of logic. Yeah, uh, I, because I, yeah, yeah, because yeah, and neither can any other worldview that I have I have been presented with. What happens is the presuppositionalists they make two claims. They claim that they can mm-hmm. present a foundation for the laws of logic. And they claim mm-hmm. that, that no other worldview can, and they never demonstrate either of those two premises. They assert both of them without any demonstration. Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, the, the, and from, from, the, uh, from the presuppositionalist or the apologetics, you would hear some like, uh, uh, God, we all think in the way of God, and that's why we have laws of logic, and, and the atheistic can't account for I, laws of so, logic because of... So yeah. I, what you just said is something that I don't recognize um, as, mm-hmm. as even being any part of a transcendental argument that exists in God, that we all think in the way of God. Uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the arguments for the, the transcendental arguments for the existence of God that appeal to the laws of logic have nothing to do with how we think. They are entirely about whether or not the identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle have a foundation that can be identified. It has nothing to do with how we think. So I don't know, what, what, mm-hmm. what is this new argument that you've got about we all think like God? Well, okay, so, so um, we, it's, it's that we, uh, we have the power of thinking logically and that in an atheistic worldview it is impossible to think uh, logically because... How do you know uh, that? All that atheism... Because all that atheism is is matter of motion. Lots no, of no, no, no. So, okay, in, so this is material. this is an awfully, mm-hmm. awfully confused thing, because atheism doesn't tell you anything at all about what mm-hmm. it, what is or what actually exists. Atheism is the condition mm-hmm. of not accepting the claim that some god exists. Atheism to mm-hmm. say that atheism can't account for the laws of logic is is equivalent to saying the, that atheism can't account for a peanut butter sandwich or why cheetahs are so fast or you know, any of those, it's not what it's about. So okay. w- when you say under an atheist, basically what you're, you're arguing is on atheism or if there is no God, then you cannot account for the foundations of reason. And I agree with that. But I also don't see how any other on theism or anything else actually accounts for the foundations of theism. Identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle, those things are things that we presuppose um, that seem to be absolute and true and universal, and you would have to assume that they were true in order to demonstrate that they were false. But the fact that you cannot provide a justification for why they are true or some undergirding um, is largely irrelevant to the issue of whether or not there's a God until you can demonstrate, one, there is a God, two, that God is the foundation for the thing that we can't evidently provide a foundation for. Okay. So, so okay. So, you're you're saying that basically um, because with with atheism, I I found that that uh, you cannot you cannot justify laws of logic, and because of you can't justify laws of logic, you're saying that uh, therefore you can't prove God's existence because because uh, because an atheist that cannot prove or cannot justify laws of logic. 
I apologize. I am not trying to be a dick, but that was a completely incoherent sentence. Yeah, sorry. Can you say that one more time? So, <laughs> can you like repeat it one more? So, we, you and I perhaps would agree that identity, non-contradiction, mm-hmm. excluded middle, the foundations of reason, are true, mm-hmm. right? Okay, say that one more time. I'm sorry. I'm, I, you're, I, I can barely hear you guys. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you and I would probably agree, and I'll I'll, I'll let mm-hmm. you verify. That the what mm-hmm. you're what you're identifying is the laws of logic, identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle. We view them to be true and absolute and universal. Okay. Uh, are, 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 are you okay? Now we're both in the situation where we accept the these laws of logic, and we can use them, mm-hmm. and they continually demonstrate, so far as we can tell, mm-hmm. that they are in fact true and absolute and universal. But we have okay. have no way of confirming that. Basically, mm-hmm. we don't even know what could potentially falsify that because you would have to assume that they were true in order to try to prove them false. So it seems to be something mm-hmm. that you cannot confirm absolutely. And so you, mm-hmm. I, I operate with them as a presupposition. What the, mm-hmm. the people who are using the, one of the versions of the argument you're talking about, what they do is say, wow, the atheists don't have any explanation for why we can trust the laws of logic, but we do mm-hmm. because there's a God, and God is the the guarantor, the insurance that guarantees that these laws of logic are true, and therefore mm-hmm. we we have an explanation, and they don't. Um, mm-hmm. the, the problem here is on several levels. First of all, where's the demonstration that God exists and is in fact the guarantor of these laws mm-hmm. of logic? That that never happens which is okay. why they try to say that they're arguing from the impossibility of the contrary. But that's not what mm-hmm. they're actually doing. They're not saying that w- without a God, there can be no foundation. That I mean, they'll, they'll claim that, but you can't demonstrate that because you have no way of assessing mm-hmm. it. So, Paul, I have a question okay, so, for you. Okay, okay, go ahead. Um, are you, are you uh, claiming at all that uh, the laws of logic are somehow a revealed truth from God? Yeah, so um, did you put that in another way? So, like, okay, so are you saying that that uh, God gave us the laws of logic, like gave someone the laws of logic, and now well, we have it, kind I, of like the Ten Commandments I, yeah, I or think something? He, I think he's asking you, is, is God, did he, like, create the laws of logic and then somehow inform us about it? Or did he create them and we discovered them? Like Prometheus or, or something. Or did he not create them? Are, are they simply truths and somehow he's responsible? We're, we're trying to figure out what what argument there is to show that God is the foundation of logic. Um, yeah, so that part I do not know. I don't know if, I don't know if there's anything where where God actually revealed it, like in the Bible, like, this is the laws of logic. Follow the laws of logic. I'm just That's saying. That's kind of where I was going. With it. You know, if you go in, if I'm, I'm actually a, a PhD in computer science, and uh-huh. you know, I'm pretty familiar with formal logic. And you know, this this is a, a sort of a, a model that humans have made over time. And if you go look at the history of it, it it's incremental. And and at no and no place. Along the way, did God come down and, and say, hey, you know, do this or do that? It's something that, that we mm-hmm. sort of discovered. As, as far as we know, it's universal, uh, and any other intelligent race might, might also come to the same conclusion. As far as we know, 
but we don't have any evidence mm-hmm. for that. Um, and well, so I'm, I'm kind of looking for when, when did when did God come down and, and give us this this thing, and, and what well, year was it, and these sorts of things. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm saying is that is that my, me myself, I don't know if actually God has done that, but I'm saying that there has to be a form of something like that. See, like like either Why? either Why? God did or didn't do that, but there has to be. There has to be what? There has to be some. There has to be uh, some sort of being like a god. What? Why? In order for there to. Yeah, humans. We we because, we invented it. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> as far as I'm well, concerned, no, because because we did because... well, we discovered it. How about discovered? That? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, in so a these way, yeah, th- these things are essentially a discovered truth. Truth. The but question you, is, but you're but, saying that they they can only exist and be true if there is a god. In a way, yeah. How do you know that? Because humans couldn't have possibly made the concept of laws of logic. Okay, so first of all, that's a fallacy. The failure of humans to serve as a foundation for the laws of logic does not in any way demonstrate that a god, any god, serves as a foundation. Well, okay. What, why do you think they have a foundation in the first place? Why? Because it may be, I, my argument is that it may be a mistake to say, what is the foundation for this when what we're talking about things that are simply true? So just to just to get this straight, are you saying that my argument for that because uh, humans um, made the concept of uh, laws of logic like that has nothing to do with the existence of God or has nothing to do with the argument? We're saying that that hasn't been demonstrated. I, well, I'm not even sure that that was your argument. I'm simply saying we both accept the laws of logic. You think that mm-hmm. there has to be some foundation for them, that they can't simply be true. You think there has to be a foundation. I have seen no demonstration that there is a requirement for a foundation. But more well, than that, not okay. only no, not more than that, not only do you think there must be a foundation, but you think you've found the foundation. And I've seen no demonstration for that. Well, I haven't seen a, a demonstration for why the atheists could account for laws of logic. I've already acknowledged that we can't. And I've already acknowledged that mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a nece- there's a need a necessity for an account there's, for them. So you're saying but, there's but no if need, your argument, no need but if your argument, correct. I, well, I'm saying there's, I'm saying that I don't see a need, but I'm I'm moreover saying I don't see how it could be possible to ju- to, to offer can, a justification for it. That is true. Philo- to philosophically justify laws of logic. Well, I mean, if you're thinking like that, then there's there's real. I mean, do you believe in freedom, like human freedom, like we have the freedom to do whatever we want? It depends. Freedom is a label that we put on our ability and inability to act. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you, I but I'm, I'm talking philosophically. Do, do you have the freedom to think logically or illogically? Am, am I capable of thinking correctly mm-hmm. and incorrectly? Yes. You do. I am capable of this. Yes, I can I demonstrate it. I've made mistakes and I've gotten things right. Uh huh. Now is that is that you? Is that you with the freedom of doing it, or is that neurons or chemicals in your brain? I don't care. It doesn't matter. It is still part of this package of me. And so this, is, this, is, this is this is now Paul. No, no, no. Paul, atheism is not sweep, sweeping anything under the rug. 
You're the one sweeping something mm-hmm. under the rug because I've asked you repeatedly to provide the justification for why you think there needs to be an explanation and why you think your explanation is correct. And now we're talking about freedom and you're accusing of atheism. Because, of, hey, you, because, let me finish. Well, freedom let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. Okay, go ahead. Your argument is this accusation that atheism is sweeping something under the rug that it can't explain has nothing to do with mm-hmm. atheism at all. This has to do with philosophy and the recognition that mm-hmm. we do not currently have an explanation for X, whether it's oh. whatever you do, okay. and that there may not necessarily be an explanation for X, that it may be the case that this is just the way they are. Okay, so do you want you want observable evidence or do you want philosophical evidence or transcendental evidence? Well, is it, I, I would is prefer it, is... observable evidence for a god, but if you'd present anything demonstrating why... And how you you mm-hmm. have the answer to something that philosophy seems to view as unanswered and unanswerable. Mm-hmm. Lay it on us. Well, okay. So I'm not I'm not <laughs> claim, I'm not claiming I'm not claiming that that the God of the Bible is the God of the Catholic Church or the God of this or that. I'm claiming that there has to be a philosophical structure for laws of logic, freedom, and such and so on. Uh, okay, let's and we ass- believe let's, that's what God is. Paul, let's assume for a second. And I don't think this is the case, but let's assume for a second that I agreed with you that there had to be a philosophical structure as a foundation. What justification mm-hmm. do you have for saying that it must be a being? Because you couldn't, because without without there to be a philosophical structure, you're basically just, you just kind of have a carpet on a floor with no floor to hold up the carpet. Yeah, sorry, that made absolutely no sense with respect to my question. My question was, if I were to agree with you, that there must be some mm-hmm. philosophical structure. In other words, if I agreed with you that the laws of logic needed an explanation, what is your justification for claiming that that explanation, that that philosophical structure, is a being? Um, okay, so um, maybe I should word it differently. Maybe I shouldn't say being. Um, huh. I don't know if I should continue calling it a being because that would kind of throw off anyone who doesn't necessarily believe okay. in a being. Then let me ask you this. Hmm. Given the normative usage of God, is God a being? Um, that's a good question. I'm, I am I can't really say for sure myself. Well, hold on. Can I say before, Matt? Why can would I you call something... I'm really... Why would you call something well, God can I say be- if what you really mean is there must be an explanation... There must be an explanation for the laws of logic, and I'm going to call that explanation God. Uh, but I'm not really sure that it's a, be- uh, that, that it's a, it's a being. Like, it's like God that's is a, a synonym holy, for, for one's ignorance. Yeah, that's a wholly dishonest argument to say there needs to be an explanation. I'm going to call that explanation God, but it might not be a being. Mm-hmm. How is this an argument for the existence well, okay. of God, which is generally viewed as a being, as an agent, to say oh, it might not mm-hmm. be an agent? Because I could say... I think there must be an explanation for this bottle of water, and I'm going to call it God, mm-hmm. when really it's a frickin' factory, and a factory is not equivalent to God. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, to continue the argument, I think, I think we, I have Why? to know, what do you, hold on, I'm, okay. uh, I think to continue, to continue the argument, I, 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 I have to know, um, 
from from your knowledge of uh, religion and everything like that, what do you take God, or what do you what do you believe in, or what do you think God is, or yeah. what do you think we believe God is? I'm sorry, Paul. I promise, I'm still not trying to be a dick, but this further demonstrates your confusion. You called in to present an argument for the existence of God. You are the one who must then define God. It doesn't. If I was calling, mm-hmm. if I was calling into a show to argue for position X. Why would I let uh-huh. them define X and ask what their definition of well, X is? My original, my original, uh, my original, uh, like what I really wanted to do by calling the show was just to talk about this. I didn't really want to debate because I'm terrible at debating, as you can tell. Um, because I just kind of, I choke. Well, I just wanted to uh, talk about it. Okay. In that case, I'm probably just going to move on to other callers because this is already a topic that some people find particularly dense. Mm-hmm. But my position is really simple. You and I agree mm-hmm. on the laws of logic. I don't know of any way uh-huh. that you, I don't know of any way to demonstrate that they need a foundation or that a foundation has been, ha- been found. I find no uh-huh. demonstration of that anywhere. And so the people who are uh-huh. arguing from the impossibility of the contrary, um, haven't demonstrated either of those things and certainly haven't demonstrated another world you can't. But what they do keep doing, which you tried to do in one way or another a couple different times, is say, ah, atheism can't answer this question, therefore atheism can't be true. Well, sorry, mm-hmm. evolution can't tell you why the planets orbit a sun, but that's not what they're supposed to do. That's, that's not what evolution is. So saying, uh, oh, your worldview, you keep looking, at, not you specifically, but the people arguing this, would say, your worldview can't account for this, and mine can. Great. Please demonstrate that yours can, because I have yet to see any demonstration of that. And, and by the way, I'm not, you know, you, you might talk about how you don't want to debate this because you're a terrible debater. Uh, you're just as good as Matt Slick or anybody else who's tried to present this stuff. There is, there is this view that, oh my gosh, we need an answer. And the God thing that I keep hearing about seems to be an answer. But the one thing that people need to grasp is that we explain the unknown in terms of the known. And so you can't solve a mystery by appealing to a bigger mystery. Even if there was a perfect God who who was absolutely certain and does in fact serve as the foundation for logic, how could that God ever serve as your foundation for logic? How could that God ever make you certain and confident? If you are a flawed individual who can make mistakes in thinking, how could you ever know that your reasoning to demonstrate a God is your foundation of reasoning isn't flawed? And I'd argue it's demonstrably flawed and circular. So so I have to prove God's existence to you in order for that actual argument to work? Um, if so you could, it, that, that would be a stepping stone. That right. would certainly be a stepping stone, or you could actually so demon, or you could actually demonstrate that a particular definition mm-hmm. of God is in fact necessary. There's nothing wrong with arguing from the impossibility of the contrary. It's just that you have to demonstrate that the contrary is in fact impossible. And in this case, you also have to demonstrate why you think there needs to be or could be an explanation that that the fact that this is true is not in and of itself the end of it. Okay. So uh, before I hang up, I just want to say uh, thanks a lot. Sure. This was helpful. <laughs> this is very helpful. And uh, I either I either will continue trying to add on to the argument or, or you know, the other, the other side. But uh, thanks a lot. Um, have a good dinner. <laughs> sure. Thanks. <laughs>
Uh, whoops, I guess he was going to add one more thing. After good day. As a reminder, we are, in fact, going to dinner at Star of India. Uh, three words, right there on the screen, 2900 West Anderson Lane. The show's on till about 6 p.m. Central. If you are in the Austin area and are an atheist or atheist-friendly individual that would like to join us, it's a, it's an Indian buffet. We have fun. So you compared him to Matt, Matt Slick, but Matt Slick can, can spew BS faster. Sure, sure. <laughs> but Matt has a radio show and has been doing it for longer. By the way, Matt, Matt's going to be coming down to Austin um, and is actually coming to my house where I will give him a bottle of the best tequila you can get. Oh, my goodness. And we will sit down on a couch and have conversations, not just a formal structured debate. We're, we're going to talk and record it. Um, here's the thing. I don't have any animus towards Matt at all. Uh, frustration on occasion? You bet. But I'm sure he's frustrated with me on occasion. Um, I don't presume dishonesty or evil intention. Um, and I also don't presume that it's a waste of time because if I can, if either of us can find a way to expose that the other is being unreasonable, that's a win. Because the end of unreasonable arguing and conclusions for any position is a win. Yeah. If, if he demonstrates, if this, if any caller on the show actually comes up with a valid and sound argument for the existence of God, I will accept it. Yeah, if there's anything I've ever learned since I've been an atheist is uh, it's okay to be wrong, and you it's it's actually maybe a good thing because you can learn something. Yeah. So, um, finding not, out you're wrong. Not to be feared. Right? Uh, finding out you're wrong can be painful, especially as we are generally indoctrinated to, don't be wrong, don't be wrong, don't be wrong, don't be, oh, you're so wrong. And then the, the, the name calling ensues. Um, the good thing about finding out you're wrong is that you're not wrong anymore. There you go. I don't know why you wouldn't want that as a goal. Um, we got Stephen in Naples, Florida. Thanks for waiting. Hey, how you guys doing? You're, hey, on, you're on with Don and Matt. What's going on? Can you hear me? Okay, I put you on speaker. It's easier for me to hear you. No, so, we're, okay. You're good. I can hear you. Okay. Okay, well, I hope I can present a good argument because... Um, I've been thinking about it all week. You want to put money on it? Um, I, I'm wondering if I should start <laughs> taking bets on this stuff and then donating the money. But go ahead. I'm okay, fine. well, we'll see. Okay, would you agree with this statement? If God exists, he could never reveal himself if he desired. No. No. Okay, why not? Well, I exist and I can reveal myself. Why can't God? No, I'm if he desired not to reveal himself, he could never do that. If he if he exists. Oh, that's not what you said. Um, oh, sorry, that's what. I meant. So let me see if I understand this. If God exists and desired not to reveal himself, then he could not reveal himself. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have to unless he wanted to. See now, now I'm even more confused. All right, so let, let's state this. I'm going to let you state this one more time. Okay. If God exists, he. Okay, um, I'm going to reword it. He wouldn't have to reveal himself unless he desired. Um, okay, so we haven't defined God, but w if we run with, you know, the God of classical theism or some normative mm -hmm. usage of God, all you're saying is that God only has to reveal himself if he wants to. And yeah. Yes, okay. I, 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 th I have no problem with that. Okay. Uh, and then do you also agree that he could reveal himself to select people if he chose to. I, if we're going with the normal use of God, yeah, sure. He could, you know, sneak into your bedroom at night and reveal himself to you and not tell anybody else about it. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I think I'm one of those people um, who he revealed himself to in a very 
you know, crystal clear. He basically gave me lots of proof. He was like, yep, I revealed myself to you. Um, and, you know, you guys always talk about uh, I'm wondering, looking I, for, you know. You know I'm going to ask what proof he gave you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. Um, you guys always talk about, you know, like, oh, uh, if you're a CS, you know, you have to give proof. And I just wanted to point out the fact that, like, you know, if God exists, he's probably not going to just give everyone proof. because Why? No, 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 no. I agree that he doesn't have to. Now you're saying mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't, and I want to know why he probably wouldn't. Well, let's go with the, base, with the basic uh, belief that a lot of people have, which is, like, life is kind of a test for morality or, you know, good and evil, that kind of thing. Wouldn't him revealing himself defeat the whole purpose of that? No. If that was true? No. I, first of all, I'm not convinced that uh, a lot of people necessarily, or, you know, there probably are a lot of people, because a lot doesn't mean anything, uh, who think mm-hmm. that way. But what people think about God and what God is are... I, I would hope you would agree, completely independent. But your your, yeah. your question here is, if if all of life is a test to see if you qualify for heaven, then God revealing himself would violate that test because now everybody would be would know that a God exists, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you think God revealed himself to you, so doesn't that invalidate your test? Yes, it does. So oh, right now, okay, so, so, I'm living my life, but the purpose of my life is kind of meaningless other than to share what I experience with other people. Sure, sure. So let me ask you this. Do you think that, do you believe there's a Satan? Uh, I, maybe. Okay. Um, well, I, I will I will talk. I had two experiences. One was with an angel. One was with something demonic. And I actually called a year ago and I told you about the demonic one. Okay. How could there be something demonic? Where, where did this demonic uh, where did this demonic thing come from? Did God create it? Well, I think I mean according to the Christian, I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, he created all the angels, and then what? Lucifer like had free will and he rebelled sure. or something. I, so, so what you're saying is that some agent who knew very well that God existed and knew very well of God's power rebelled and rejected God. Uh, maybe I, I don't know. But well, do, do you think that? Do you think that's possible? Do you think it's possible for God to stand here and reveal Himself to me, and for me to still say, "No, I won't serve you"? Mm-hmm. Is that possible? Yeah. Okay. If that's possible, then that is a defeater for your view that God revealing Himself somehow invalidates the test, because it, it's not about whether or not you believe there's a God. It's about whether or not you're willing to follow and obey a, a God and do the things necessary uh, for salvation. So it's possible for God to reveal himself to everyone, and then people would still be able to choose and say, no, I don't want to serve you because you're a moral thug. Mm, okay. Uh, I guess so. Uh, maybe. I, I don't know why not. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that kind of makes sense, I guess. If God showed up and revealed himself to me right now, I would certainly believe that there was a God, but that doesn't mean I would follow or serve or worship. As a matter of fact, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't be an atheist anymore, yeah. but I wouldn't be a follower of that God. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so I don't know. I mean, so, you know, God is kind it, of a mystery. But. Yeah, well, so you say God's a mystery, and you don't have much in the way of answers, but you also said that God came down and gave you all kinds of proof uh, in revelation yeah. to you. Well, what did he reveal, mm-hmm. and, and what proof was there? Okay, um, well, 
I already kind of told you that I saw like a demonic looking thing. So that was. How did you determine? You know, one, okay, what what is demonic looking, and how did you determine what it actually was you saw? Yeah, yeah, we actually had the same conversation last year. And yeah, did we get any? Did we get anywhere? Um, not really. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, do you have a good reason to think that it was actually a demon or demonic or whatever the hell that is? Uh, it was terrifying, and it was. I've seen lots of I terrifying could sense things. Energy around it. You could sense energy around it. How's that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't know anything about sensing until it happened. But after it happened, now I can like, I, it's like a sixth sense type thing. Like I feel stuff. Have you had this? Have you have you had this tested so that you could verify that it wasn't just a delusion? Mm, how can you test something supernatural? Well, that's not my problem. <laughs> See, your very question defeats your position because you became convinced, and now you're saying there's no way to test it, which means you are willing to become convinced of things that you can't test. Which de- um, which is definitionally well, the demon, unreasonable. The demon. If it was just the demon story and that's all I had, maybe you'd be right. But then the angel is a little bit more convincing, I think. Okay, how do you test for that? Well, do you want me to tell you the story? No, I don't really care about the story. I just want to know how you can test to confirm that your conclusion about the story is true. Okay, so do you believe that anecdotal evidence can help prove things? Um, I wouldn't dismiss anecdotal evidence, but I don't think it's sufficient. Okay. Well, the angel... It, it depends. I mean, it depends on what you're talking about, because if you tell me yeah. uh, that your name's Stephen, then I'm willing to believe your name's mm-hmm. Stephen, uh, because there's not any risk of you, you know, oh, if it turns out it's not Stephen, my worldview has to change. If you tell me you saw an angel, I'm not just going to take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, I use the word angel, um, but... Uh, it's just hard. I'll, I'll, I'll do the story. It's, re- it's real brief. Okay. Yeah, basically, I was going to go to work one day. I was sitting down in the lobby of the hospital where I worked, and in my head, I was kind of having a conversation with God. I don't, I don't know. Um, the conversation went something like this. God asked me a question. He said, what should you do in any situation? I responded, you should do the will of God. Um, then he asked me, what if you don't know what the will of God is? I responded, you should do the most good for the world. Why wouldn't you respond? Hang on, Stephen. I apologize mm-hmm. for interrupting. But if you're sitting yeah. there having a conversation with God, and he asks mm-hmm. you, what if you don't know what the will of God is, why wasn't your answer, you'll tell me, just like you're asking me questions right now? Like I said, I wasn't sure I was having a conversation with God. Okay, if until you're, until you're confident that you're having a conversation with God, um, why care? Well, this is why I think it was a conversation with God. As soon as I answered that you should do the most good in the world, this elderly African-American guy walked up to me, he looked me directly in the eyes, and he said, do you know how many people don't do that? And, you know, I didn't speak anything verbally. Nothing was being said out loud. And then he walked away, and that was like the end of the conversation. And I was just kind of stunned. So after I got up and looked around, you know, he was gone. But then afterwards, and I thought about it, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, that was God or an angel or something. But he clearly had, like, he clearly read my mind somehow. It was like telepathy. And I know that amongst that okay, okay. doesn't... We, we, we're, we're done, Stephen. Stephen, I apologize, what? but we're, we're done, okay? 
Why? You think you're having a conversation with God, but you're not sure, but you become convinced. And now, so you've appealed to demons or demonic presences that were terrifying. You've appealed to angels. You've appealed to a conversation with God, which you have no way of verifying. And now you're going out to some, some kind of telepathy or something rather than just saying God spoke through this elderly African American. Now it's telepathy. You are clearly someone who will reach to anything that has ever been proposed as a potential explanation for something that you don't understand or know. And until you find a way to verify and demonstrate that you have reached a reasonable conclusion, conversation on this subject is pointless. Well, can I just get to my main point? You, you, you spent all this time, you haven't got to your main point? Okay. Okay, so the main point I was going to say is, is a lot of people who have near-death experiences, they basically say that they see and experience very similar things. So, so do people who claim. Like so do people who claim they were abducted by aliens. Do you believe people are being abducted yeah. by? You do believe that? Yeah, and, and I know you always use that argument. I was going to say, well, this is what I would say. Well, at least you're consistent aliens, in accepting that. every potential bullshit explanation out there. <laughs> I mean, um, so the thing is, what's, what? Now we're to near-death experiences. Do you know that we can test for those? They're trying, but we really. And if they're actually supernatural. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't get to label something supernatural until you can demonstrate that it is and define what supernatural okay. is. Okay. Okay. That's there, true. There, so are to, to there are ways to test for this, and the tests have repeatedly failed. You don't get to label failed tests as, well, we're trying, but it's supernatural. Yeah. Well, I thought we started this conversation that if God existed and it was supernatural, he could... You know, I mean, you can't lay, you can't put it in a test tube, right? Isn't well, first like of all, no, 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 no. We didn't start this conversation agreeing on anything remotely like that. The term supernatural wasn't in the initial one, and we didn't talk about test tubes until you just said it. What I agreed is that if God doesn't want to reveal himself, he doesn't have to. You can't re-spin mm-hmm. what we agreed on at the beginning. Okay, well... Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know, Don, Don. Did you have anything to add? No. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna move on. Thanks, Stephen. Okay. Uh, well, that was fun. How about we uh, we talk to Michelle in uh, Rochester? Are you there, Michelle? Thanks for waiting. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, you're on with Don and Matt. Thanks, guys. Hi, Matt. Hi. Uh, and Don. Hey. Sorry. Um, I. And being told to shut up about Nazism here in Michigan. And recently, my husband had me put in the psych ward uh, at the behest of Rochester Hills and Troy Police here in Michigan because I walked into the Rochester Hills de- Police Department and asked for a complaint form after finding out that the FBI released a report saying that we have KKK members on the police forces. I have come across some of those officers. And as someone who has lived in Michigan for 43 years, you can pick the Nazi cops out from the atheist cops. And I'm just going to put that out there. The atheist cops have concern, care, respect, I've never, I swear, I can tell you, they've never told me to shut up. The Nazi pigs like to tell us women to shut up a lot. 
Uh, it seems like you you've jumped jumped to some conclusions here that uh, you know there there are various ways that police are dealing with you and you you've read into it a certain mindset or worldview or whatever um, and I'm not sure I'm I'm with you on all this. Well, it's my experiences growing up in Michigan. Uh, the whole freedom of speech thing, you know, the, you know, watching Trump get elected after being called a, after being exposed as a pussy grabber and, you know, being in court right now charged with raping a 13 year old girl years ago and all of this stuff that's happening. And. Yeah, there's, there's a lot, in, there's a I, lot going I, on that's upsetting to a lot of people, right? Well, a lot of people are not aware of the Michigan militia and how big it is. I was getting ready to join it last year, and I was still a Christian. I've only been an atheist for a year. I think I've said that before on the show. I was fully prepared to join the Michigan militia until I found out that they are housing convicted child sex offenders. So we're, um, we're we're getting pretty far off the topic of atheism. Can, can no, we... no, we're not. The Michigan militia are Nazis. Iron okay, Michigan what, is what the hell black is on purpose. So Don's right. We're getting far afield from the topic of atheism and saying no, we're not. Well, well, wait, because this whole thing with Trump and hearing rumors about us going to war uh, with Iran and other countries. I know from hearing it myself that if we go to war and our soldiers are deployed, the Michigan militia is coming after us. That includes uh, okay. atheists. That includes how, gays, how, how, do you, how do you know gays. this? How do you know this? I've grown up with them. Matt, I was born and raised to be a Nazi. My father is a Nazi. Oh, okay. I don't know how else to say this. What, what you do is you what you do is you actually present evidence, not personal testimony. I don't, that's not my problem. Okay. If if you're trying to guide me somewhere that tell me how to get that evidence. I don't know because I don't know. Okay. So there is a Michigan militia. There are, there's certainly racism everywhere. I know that there've been problems with KKK in uh, Rochester. I don't know how you can instantly identify which cop is a KKK and why, when you said you could, you said you can tell which ones are KKK and which ones are atheists. Because uh, that's not a true dichotomy. Um, I, I'm not sure how you're and, telling and any Nazism of this. Nazism is a completely I don't different know thing altogether. What, what it has to do with atheism. Um, I I I get your frustration with what you think is the case, but now you're talking about rumors of war with Iran, and with, if our soldiers leave, then the Michigan militia is going to take over. Um, my bullshit detector is going crazy right now, and I. Something other than this is my experience. What? Sorry. I went to Irons, Michigan, where our militia is located. Okay. I, as as I was among the members of the militia there. That's where they live. Okay. They are literally geeking in their pants about the thought of war. They want to bring this on. Even Pat Robertson said Trump is bringing about pretty much. Bible prophecy for Armageddon. They say that every for every president, for every year, for every war, for every famine, for every earthquake, 
We've heard it a million Paul times. Paul Ryan also said that he will never let Democrats back in office again. He's well, Paul Ryan isn't God or the, or the electorate. See, I'm I, saying the evidence is adding up for me. Okay. In my it's head, not for me. This is what I'm seeing. It's it's not adding up for me. What what this appears to be, with all due respect, is conspiracy thinking of oh my gosh, I heard this and I heard this and now it's all starting to make sense. Paul Ryan can't stop, you know, oh, I'm never going to let another Democrat in. Well, that's what every Republican has wanted, uh, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. What about Betsy DeVos being from Holland and their history of Freemasonry? I've lived this. Okay. <laughs> I've sealed the deal. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Uh, Betsy DeVos is, uh, and we can actually talk about this, uh, Horribly unqualified for the position, but that seems to be the Pot, way in, current, current trend. Um, I don't care if she's from Holland or not. I don't care if she has a history of Freemasonry. By the way, Freemasonry, perfectly legal. Now, and, and by the way, uh, when I, oh, this will give you something. When I produced Magic at the Capitol, we used the theater at the Freemason building over there. Oh. Oh, no. I'm in league with the Freemasons. You can take that as, as why I dismissed and hung up the call. Uh, the fact is, if you read like the free statements, uh, free, Freemason statement there, it's almost entirely secular and has values that I generally agree with right down the line, except for the little God thing at the end. It is less repulsive uh, than any uh, God religion type thing I've ever seen. Um, Pretty tame stuff, right? But, you know, this... Bilderberger, Illuminati, Freemason. Stop listening to Alex Jones. <laughs> I've never met the man. I don't think he actually wants to have a conversation with me. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and, and pay all that much attention to him. But stop listening to Alex Jones. Stop listening to the conspiracy theorists who are doomsayers. And instead, if in fact there's a real threat and you have good reason to think that there's a real threat in your area... Do something besides calling a public access show several thousand miles away. I, I can't do anything about it. Uh, all the information that I have shows that the Michigan, Michigan militia is in decline. That was almost non-existent by 2000, that there was a resurgence and then a further decline after that. Um, but I'm not scared of the Michigan militia. I, I'm just not. Because, first of all, if our, if our soldiers go to war... It doesn't mean that everything in the United States is undefended and now the Michigan militia can march in and take over. Um, and as, and it is as displeasing it is, as it is to uh, many people who I associate with, um, the ACLU has defended the KKK and their right to gather because that's a constitutionally protected thing. I absolutely despise the KKK, white supremacists, but I'm not in favor of sucker punching them during interviews. I'm, a, I'm in favor of actually opposing bad speech with better speech and actual action. And you don't get to assume that just because you don't like them and they are advocating for demonstrably terrible positions that you are then justified in taking certain actions. There comes a time where violence is justified. I'm not sitting here as a pacifist. But violence as a, as, a, as a response to these people who you don't like, I can't, I can't support that. We had a conversation, and, and I'm going to do this little thing kind of quickly. I, I had a long conversation with, with the godless spell checker on the podcast covering a lot of these things. 
But last night, or fr- Friday night, on um, Real Time with Bill Maher, he had Milo Yiannopoulos on. I uh, did a quick interview with him. I only watched that part. I did not watch the post-show thing that they do, where it evidently got a lot worse, where uh, Milo got even more transphobic, and Bill Maher uh, kind of said, well, that's not unreasonable. Yes, it was. Milo has terrible ideas. He's a self-hating gay Catholic man who won't hire gays because he thinks they're lazy and party too much, and they're almost as bad as women. He specifically goes out. That's he, that's what he said. He specifically goes out and trolls people. He loves all the negative attention that he gets on Twitter. He's a little Twitter masochist. And then he went on to misgender a transgender woman and say terrible things about her and targeting an individual. He is a despicable human being. But he has the right of free speech. And you have the right to oppose that and protest it peacefully. And I will support that entirely. But what you don't have a right to do is engage in violence in response to that. And what you possibly should do is not react to everything that he's saying. This is not just a simply, oh, the best strategy is ignore the trolls. I'm not saying just ignore them and they'll go away. What I am saying is that how you choose to react to to people and what you do in response has has consequences. And it may be strategically a horrible idea to elevate their status in some situations. His book sold, it's not even out, and I think it sold like two million copies. And I'd never even heard of this guy until a few months ago. This is, there are big issues that we have to face and deal with. And I have friends who want hate speech to be illegal in the United States the way it is in other places. And I understand why they want that. But they need to think back. They need to think back to who watches the watchers. Who's going to be the one who determines what's legal speech and what's not? Who's going to be the one that says, oh, the atheists no longer get to talk because they are destroying God's country? The free speech laws that protect us, that allow us to do this show, are the same thing that allows despicable KKK members and, and Breitbart bloggers to say terrible stuff. And the, in my view, and this is for me personally, the best thing we can do is expose their hatred and expose them as ridiculous and expose them as not actually representing a significant portion of the population, if in fact they're not, to combat those bad ideas with better ideas. To When they go low, we go high. How, how come everybody loved it? When they go low, we go high right up until, it, oh, Anacha got punched on, in the face on TV. Oh, that was so funny. Well, okay. But was it wise? And here's the question that I I keep asking about the Nazi punching. We don't know who punched him, which means we don't know why. Maybe he got cut off in traffic. I think it's most reasonable to assume they got punched because he's a white supremacist. He's a white nationalist. Here's the thing. If you're that guy and you know you're going to be doing a TV interview, would it be a good strategic move to pay somebody to come punch you? I think it would. I think it definitely would get you the press that he got. Now, I don't know whether or not that person was paid. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if it would have been good strategy for him to pay somebody, then it was bad strategy for somebody to do it for free. You lost the moral high ground. And I'm not suggesting, oh, just don't do anything about it. Oh, just let the, you know. Uh, I understand. I, I get it. Never again. 
but we can be smarter and better about it. And if you, I can agree with you on what the problem is and disagree on what the best solution is, and it doesn't make me a Nazi sympathizer. I can agree with you on the problem and agree that violence is warranted, but not agree at what point violence is warranted, and it doesn't make me a supporter of Nazism. And I find that there are people who I respect and are friends with who are using that line of reasoning. If you don't agree with me about when that I should punch a Nazi on the street, you are a Nazi supporter. No, you are being emotional and irrational and not making a good strategic argument from my perspective. I don't I didn't mean to do that rant, but yeah, there we are. Well, there's a lot of frustration right now. It's it, the world is in many ways upside down. I, I wake up I, for years. I complained about, you know, oh, I believed the, the, in Christianity. And now I find myself waking up every day in a world where 70 percent of the people believe something that just seems obviously not reasonable to me. Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with that? And now, um, with the election of our new president and a number of other things where, you know, tempers are flaring and lines are being drawn and you need to be on this side of the line or you are just as bad. Uh, I'm, I'm almost more terrified of what we will do to ourselves than <laughs> anything in administration. I don't know. It's, yeah. Big distraction, and we're running out of time. So let's let's. Uh, You've already got somebody on the line. Do I? Whether you intended it or not. Is somebody online? No, none of these are lit up. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. No problem. Um, Thomas in Round Rock, thanks for waiting through my tirade. No problem. I'll be quick. Um, I appreciate what you guys have said about uh, human thinking and how it's flawed a lot of times. And um, I had a lot of humbling experiences in life where I realized that I am in that boat, certainly. And it's part of growing up where you can realize that. And um, I, Daniel Dennett actually gave a nice illustration of how quadriplegics need a wheelchair to get from point A to point B. And humans need science to get from point A to point B because our fragile, he didn't say it this way, but I apologize if I butchered his statement, but our fragile ape minds, you know, can only do so much. And so that's part of the reason I wanted to call um, to get some clarification on some ways I might be flawed because I do look up to your um, ways of arriving at conclusions. And uh, the reason was to get this peer-reviewed journal out there because I I haven't heard um, enough talk about this. And it's very exciting to me. It's changed uh, my perspective dramatically as I'm searching for an evidence-based perspective. Uh, Have you heard of the wow signal of the terrestrial genetic code? Yep. You have? Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, well... It's nothing more than the Bible code applied to DNA, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. We don't think very highly of the Bible code. Yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> okay. um, um, what is the reason that you arrived at that conclusion, if I might ask? Um, so one of the reasons was that I listened to a talk from a biologist who discussed the wild signal years, several years ago when it first kind of came out. Um, and... He talked about the problem with uh, finding a pattern in DNA, which doesn't actually confirm the conclusion that people are making. Um, so maybe maybe we should back up and, and unpack what the wow signal is for the, for the audience. Yes, sir. Please. You'll go right ahead. Okay. Yeah, so um, I have the abstract right in front of me. 
Um, what, what happened was um, SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, um, or Search for Terrestrial Intelligence, something like that. Anyway, they, they first had these radio signals, and they found out it was just this weird noise, and they dismissed it. But they were saying that the genetic code might be a good place to look, and so they were uh, pushing for that. And so according to this peer-reviewed journal, physicists found this code that um, shows hallmarkers of this intelligent-like signal, that it's, it's, um, it shows arrangements of the code and an ensemble of arithmetical and ideographical patterns of the same symbolic language, accurate and systematic. These underlying patterns appear as a product of precision logic and non-trivial computing rather than stochastic processes. And then they go on to try to calculate the odds. No of one has ever said that there was by, stochastic processes is, uh, creating the DNA. You know, the DNA is, is, uh, you know, there are some mutations and such, but there's a lot of copying and um, moving around of pieces. And if you start copying and moving around of pieces, you know, uh, give me give me the letters of the alphabet, and if I can copy and move things, I can write anything. And and does that make it intelligent? Not necessarily. Um, you know, it, it would be well, intelligent only I, I because I was you... writing it, but the chemical processes are, as far as we know... Are not are not responding to some sort of intelligence. So, so one of the things here is that, like, when, when the Bible code was all the rage, um, the, the the thing, and I won't go into great detail, but you arrange the words and you get an equidistant letter number thing, and you you go through and you find things, and you'll find like you know, uh, Kennedy killed Dallas, you know, something like that. Um, of course, you're going to find sensible things if you can take uh, words and letters that have usage uh, where there's an intended um, message within them and jumble them up. And and as long as you get to pick, you know, oh, are we doing a 7x7 seven seven grid or a 10x10 10 10 grid or 13x13, th- and we can go horizontal, backwards, diagonal, and everything else, of course you can find throw, things. Throw enough of it on the barn door and some of it will stick. That are right? sensible. And, the, and, the, and the, the, the Bible code thing was, you know, they went through Moby Dick and found stuff and a bunch of other stuff. And also it was just absurd... From the beginning, because basically it was God included a secret message in the message that we already think he revealed. Um, and what does this secret message tell us? Um, you let Kennedy be killed in Dallas. Actually, that's not what it, it tells us, but that's what you interpreted by drawing your circles where you drew them. The, the genetic, genetic code um, is a code that... <laughs> That is instructions. That is self-replicating. So it already contains information. To go through there and say, "Hey, we found some sort of pattern," um, is not remi- surprising at all. What yeah. they what they well, found is the nothing. Thing, Matt, what what they what they found is nothing like, "I, the Lord your God, put your DNA together." Nothing like that. May I interject? Um, uh- Sure. Along with those lines. Um, okay, the reason I would disagree with your statement there, Matt, is because they're not talking about the biological side of the code. They're talking about the terrestrial side of the code, which is all life on Earth, the terrestrial. And so this is not subject to mutation well, and natural selection. What is the terrestrial like code? About. I have no idea what you're talking about, biological versus yeah. terrestrial. Okay. Um, I might not really know what I'm talking about either, but my understanding, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is that this is a very stable construct. This is not subject to natural selection like the biological side. This is basically the framework um, 
itself. This is this is something that no, is like no. all DNA, life on Earth. DNA, do you even know what DNA is? Yes, sir. Okay, so you think there's a biological DNA and a terrestrial DNA? No, no, all the same. This is like the outer, like you, it's a very small code. It, the where, part that they're talking where, about is where, this code in the DNA? No, well, yes, it is in the DNA, but this is not the um, letter by letter sequence that makes species that you're talking about or differences. Like then, it's not in the eyes. DNA because that's what DNA is, start to finish. Uh, I, all I could do is read this abstract to you and and try to break it down. Um, well, why don't you um, send it to us at uh, tv at atheistcommunity.org? Okay. Well, maybe we'll take that offline because it, it sounds like this is an involved thing. I, I got a better idea. Yeah. Why don't you Google search "Wow DNA signal rebuttal" and read what biology biology experts yes, have written um, in response to this? Because I'm not a biology expert. You apparently aren't either. I'm not. I'm not either. Absolutely, I'm not. And so, um, given that, maybe some more research is warranted. Before yes, we sir. reach any conclusion, but. yes, and um, but okay, yes, I'll, I think that's fair enough, and um, I didn't want to butcher any of this, so I, I don't really. I, all I really wanted to do was um, read this abstract and let you guys hash it out because, um, or let other people hash it out. This is something that I feel needs to be paid attention to, and more, much more research should be done on this because this is not talking about why, why, uh, why do you think? Because that, okay, so first, let me let me let me get this out. Okay. This was released uh, in 2013. Yes, sir. And you don't know much about it, and I don't know much about it, but you think that more attention needs to be paid to this. Why would you yes, think sir. more attention needs to be paid? To, do you know how much attention has been paid to it? Do you think that there are scientists out there who just looked at this and went, nah, let's not bother? Well, the the reason I say that, Matt, is because um, Richard Dawkins made a statement years ago in a speech where he proposed that perhaps aliens would have done something to DNA, and that also Carl Sagan was yeah. tossing the idea out that life might have started from trash. It's an interesting hypothesis. This is something yes. very, very interesting. And, and do you, do you think that when Carl Sagan said that, that it might have helped the authors of this paper in their search for something? Because if you go looking for a pattern in a pattern, you're going to find it. Yes, I agree with you, Matt, but here's the null hypothesis to that, because they say that um, the null hypothesis that they are due to chance coupled with presumable evolutionary pathways is rejected with p-value. Okay, if they, the say, if, they, if they say the null hypothesis is rejected, they're already quacks, because the null hypothesis, by definition, cannot be falsified. Well, how do they arrive at these odds of one to the thirteenth, ten to the thirteenth power? That's like one in a hundred trillion odds of evolutionary processes and chance alone. So, how do they? How I don't do they know. Why don't those you, odds in this? Why don't you ask them? Because right, do you, do you know how, since two thousand thirteen when this was released? Do you know how many scientists have investigated this and written something about it? I do not know that. Then how can you possibly think that it needs to be studied more if you don't know how much it's been studied? Because I can't seem to find anybody um, really saying anything on it. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's really announced to the well, world. Well, let me send like... uh, send me an email, and I will send you a "Let me Google that for you" link. Because if you search yeah, if you me. search for "Wow DNA signal rebutted" or "rebuttal," you're going to find stuff. But it's it's bizarre. This is 
this is what we do all the time. Not Don and I, I mean human beings. Hey, it'd be really sure. cool if there was something like this. Hey, we found something kind of like it. Then the experts look at it and point out why it's not what you think it is. Oh, but it, but it would yeah. be really cool if it was. So um, maybe more people yeah. need to look at so it. So the wishful thinking takes over. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes, that's why I wanted to call too, because I'm probably guilty of that too. I want to, I want to believe is. this very badly. <laughs> but here's the thing: is, well, this it is would why be cool. this would be good if it did get, did get proved. Let me just really quick just say why this this would be awesome if it did get proved, because this would show that aliens could have designed DNA itself, which kind of um, it shows that if there is markers in DNA that show design, it's because aliens designed DNA, and the, perhaps the original DNA that evolved was much more basic, and they, they improved upon it with their minds. So this is why this that should be... Sounds like uh, a great uh, science fiction story. Yeah, it, it, I think it would be. So, so <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the things is that in, in the call screener thing, it says here, you seem to think that this is a demonstration of a deist god. I, my definition of God is very loose. Um, I don't believe in a personal God in Nubarian and human affairs or a God that existed to e- e- eternity in the past. I believe that a God could have been created by a sophisticated technology, perhaps the civilization that created this code. Where did that civilization come from? I have no idea. Yeah, but there's it, this it infinite regress problem here. Darwinian, Darwinian <laughs> natural selection could have produced it, just like sure. you and I are having so, this conversation. So do, do you see that there's an infinite regression problem here? Yeah. Well, not infinite, because I'm not going to the infinite past. I'm talking about a God no. that was Okay, well, it has to terminate it. somewhere. So, right? so you're fine with the idea that something like Darwinian evolution produced a species that then yes, sir. created a God that manipulated the DNA that resulted in us. Or that the technology was present to manipulate DNA, and that technology could have evolved you're, over you're thousands missing, of years. You're missing the problem. To the point of creating a god. You're missing the problem. Occam's razor. What is the problem? What is it? Occam's razor. Do not multiply entities unnecessarily. If you accept that, a, that some species can evolve by purely natural means, which is what your first species did, then yes. you have no justification to glom on them a technological ability to both create something that is deistic in whatever weird definition you're using and to manipulate our DNA. Okay? You, why, why is it, why is that more probable than Multiple that giant we, leaps here, right? why is that more probable than that we are the, those creatures who evolved from purely natural means? Because if the first DNA to evolve was much more basic, you don't the get odds to you don't happening. get to assume that you don't get to I know. assume. I, that's, that's that's the that's the quadriplegic of my ape shell brain. But I give myself a certain amount of pride because I can um, make progress. So maybe my pride is part of my downfall. <laughs> well, the Bible says pride goes before a fall. So maybe you did just prove God. <laughs> Well, that was part of my fall out of Christianity, actually. Um, actually, you, Matt, I give you a lot of credit. You are very, I love the way you arrive at conclusions. But Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, you know, the, the new atheists. I, I know you're not a, like part of them, but I, I kind of, in my mind, I kind of put you on par because um, we're, we're all you are in the making, same direction. You are helping people. Right. Mm-hmm, you're pulling so, in the same direction and you're adding to each other and you're, um, you're helping people pull people out of um, their delusions. Cool. Somebody, well, somebody's going to do it. Thanks. We're almost out of time. Yeah, I'm going to let you go on that. Thank, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Appreciate your help. Thanks. Uh, 
I, I'm going to roll the dice. Okay. Because, so we've got five lines, five, five callers waiting. Technically, we have like two minutes left in the show. But uh, uh, Andre here in Allentown, the screening thing, you're going to have to turn off your stream. Okay, um, hold on. It, it is turned off. Um, okay, well, what we do were, you got for us? We're hearing well, ourselves. I just have a, a proof of God. It consists of ten um, premises. <laughs> oh, boy. But the brief. <laughs> so... So, uh, are you willing? Are you willing that when we find the first flaw, that to, to to concede that we're 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 your your argument is flawed is flawed? Well, okay. Um, actually, I named this after myself because I just came up with it. Well, if if we were to demonstrate a flaw in your argument, would you stop believing? Well, um, well, no. Then what's the point I mean, of going through it? Just one flaw. Well, if there's one flaw, one flaw kills an argument. How can you possibly put together an argument with? Ten premises, and not understand that a single flaw kills the argument. Well, I guess it would. Okay, I'll, I'll concede to that. All right. So, I'll, what's a what's a fir- okay. what's the first premise? Sure. I agree. It wouldn't. What's what's the first premise? We're because we're really short on time. But so, give us the first right. premise, and then we'll see. Um. By the way, this is online. It's um God's story. Well, forget it. It's called um the first premise is this: the smallest piece of matter would have at least two properties. A front and behind, or at least an internal and external. Even if everything was one sheet of mass, it would necessarily be multidimensional with an equally inaccessible outer or inner core. That's the first premise? Uh, yes. The first? Oh, yeah. I, I think, think that's flawed. Yay! One element. Say there's one element, like energy. Okay. Energy so, also has two um, components. One would be um, potential energy, and then when it's activated, then it's uh, kinetic energy. Okay. Likewise, okay. Um, so, so premise one is and fermions. So premise one is, if we reduce x to the smallest possible x, it still has more than one dimension. Yeah, there's always going to be two properties, or um, yeah, at least two properties. There's always going to be a duality, no matter how. Well, I'm not. Be- I'm not necessarily convinced that that's true, but let's just assume it is. Go on to premise two. Okay, premise two. If a thing didn't have dimensions, then it would be abstract. Even a one-dimensional thing would be abstract, as conceiving it would be counterintuitive and directly un- unobservable without any background surface. Well, I, I would you know, say you know, that the, the one-dimensional things can't be said to exist. The abstract can't be said to exist. So the third premise is so relatively, I'm sorry, so relativity exists. Either a thing is physical or abstract, or it's a physicality with two properties at least. So the fifth premise is thus oppositions exist and are as universal as, universal as energy matter. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm pretty so lost. So there's always going to be an opposition. Whenever there's something that's um, physical, there's going to be a, some kind of property or um, opposition to it. Premise one, every argument is either going to be good or bad. <laughs> but, um, oh, what well, that's an abstract. I'm sorry. Abstract, an argument would be abstract, so. So you lost me at relativity. An Because, you know, relativity is a, is a sort of a scientific thought process, right? It's an abstract concept. It's not something that exists. Right. Well, the next premise kind of, kind of um, leads into what you're. Okay, go ahead and go ahead and now. go ahead and finish it up so, with all, all your whole argument. 
Okay. And then at worst, I'll just think about it as we eat dinner. So the next thing is, so everything that is then has an is not. And the next premise, but in physical reality, I don't know. Cosmologists I, claim that voids don't exist. Like even um, I, the void I, would be a low energy space. I don't know how you can say everything that is has an is not. Well, everything conce- I mean, everything conceivable would have an is not. There's always going to be, and like even in relativity, um, one thing would be, whereas the other one wouldn't be. So you're you're conflating existence with with concepts and abstract concepts. But go ahead, finish. Okay. Well, thus the is not would only exist as the abstraction of of the physical is. Abstractions are physical, including relations such as oppositions. They're mutually exclusive as per per the logic of non-contradiction. Rather, we conceive them in, into existence. They, they exist in thought. Thought exists in brains. So if there are abstract thoughts throughout the universe, then the universe must be a, a brain itself. Sounds like a first caller. <laughs> Whenever a mind is universalized, it, might be, it must be accountable for all things meaningful, all-knowing, all-good, and all-powerful, which equates to God. Thus... That would be the opposite of opposition itself, the middle term in relation to all other contraries. And that's it. That's the conclusion. Needs work. Uh, We're at the... Can can you demonstrate an abstract concept without a brain to understand it? Well, that's the default position because uh, when you think that's an abstract concept, you can't doubt your own abstract thoughts because that would be an abstraction itself so we can't really doubt abstract concepts well you had a premise there or a conclusion or just a bald ass assertion that the universe is necessarily um a a construct a brain a mind well there's always well um that's how it kind of leads up to that because uh, thoughts exist throughout the universe abstractions exist Thought, throughout the universe and thoughts don't exist thoughts thoughts don't exist thoughts and andre andre yes thoughts occur in the universe i won't say that thoughts exist because now we're conflating things but they don't exist everywhere in the universe there are no thoughts in my pants for example okay well let's put it this way abstractions exist throughout the universe and there are no abstractions in my pants in your pants, there might be an abstraction. How do you know? Doesn't an abstraction require a mind? Yes. Is there a mind in my pants? That's what I was getting at. Well, if the whole universe is a brain, then... No, you don't get to say if the whole universe is a brain. We're talking about whether or not that can be a conclusion. Is there a brain in my pants? Well, the brain would be universal. The whole universe would be You don't get to assume... You don't get to... We're done. You don't get to assume that. If my objection is, how did you determine that the the whole universe is a brain? You don't get to say, if the whole universe is a brain, then there's a brain in your pants. When I'm trying to demonstrate reductio ad absurdum, go look at the fuck up, that you haven't actually demonstrated that. There's no brain in my pants, no matter how many times somebody tells me I'm thinking with my penis. It is not true. It's, it's, it's not a real thing. So you've got this convoluted 10-point argument 
that begins with definitions of opposites and everything must have an opposite, which doesn't tell you whether or not the opposite must exist, that then delves into relativity and quantum uh, mechanics and then argues that the universe is, why not just argue that it's a simulation? That seems to be really popular right now. And that, by the way, also can't be demonstrated. But meanwhile, if your claim is that thoughts occur everywhere and I demonstrate a place where thoughts do not occur, your argument is flawed and done with. Doesn't mean you're wrong. Doesn't mean that there isn't a God. Doesn't even mean that the universe isn't a brain. It just means your argument is crap. On that note, we're going to get together and go to dinner. Star of India, they'll put the address up there. <laughs> thanks to Don. Thanks to everybody who okay, thank you. hung out for all that. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you. Hey, you. Are you ready? Grab your pack, grab your tent, grab your gear. Jump in. We're going on an adventure. In Arizona, there's so much to see, so much to experience. At GCU, adventure is never too far away. Offering over 200 academic programs with a Christian worldview and nestled in the heart of Phoenix, you can earn your degree in fewer than four years and explore everything Arizona has to offer. Find your purpose at GCU. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash azroadtrip.